0: It's a thick book and it says the Bible on it. Like this thick. It has a brown cover. Pictures, not just words. Pictures and words. It has different like kind of feeling of the pages. It's a thing that's about God and it has all God's words. The Bible is the holy sword. God's word, how God talks to us. You'll hear God a lot, you'll hear Paul. The chapters are in things called books in it, even though it's one big book. There's lots and lots of books about lots and lots of different things, but they're all based on what Jesus did. It tells you how to live your life, and it's got everything in it that's true. The Bible can help you with lots going through your fears and stuff. Even if you know about God, and you still want to learn a little bit more about God, you can always look in the Bible. There you go. All you need to know about the Bible from kids, right? What happens when we get old? It's like we lose the simplicity of understanding things that are pretty important. So... Hey, this month is Discipleship Essential Month, and so as John mentioned, we are actually focusing in on the Bible, as obviously it's the primary element of our discipleship and God working through that in our lives, and so for the next—today and the next three weeks, we'll be diving into specifics. Like today, we're going to talk about what is the Bible next week, can I trust the Bible, and then the week after that, how do I approach the Bible, which whether we know it or not, we approach the Bible with agendas that sometimes skew the meaning that's really there, and then we'll talk about how do we apply the Bible to our lives. But this morning, I want to take some time to really talk about what is the Bible. Um, there's a lot of different definitions to it. There's a, a lot of things that we can say about it. But what is, what is something that we can hang on to that really g- gives us what we need to understand when we approach the Bible? What is this? What are these, these books in these pages in these words? Now, the reason it's important to start here is because uh, I think that we all come to understanding what the Bible is with kind of a, a different lens. So, and I think there's a couple of, like, camps that we kind of land in when, we, when it comes to what is the Bible. And one of those camps is, like, I think about the Bible, and it's like, it's long, it's complicated, I don't understand it, I'm afraid to open it, I don't know what it says, I'm good with Pastor John just talking about it on Sunday, but beyond that, I don't need to go there, and so I'm just kind of fine with that. And then there's others of us who you think, you know, I've been in church for a long time, I know what the Bible is, I understand the main themes of it, I kind of get it, I know what it is. And usually what happens when we, when we kind of just say, okay, I understand it, and we don't really think about what we're saying, that what happens is we default to kind of cliches and kind of simplistic explanations of what the Bible is that become something that whether we know it or not, it's an assumption we make that read into the way that we approach the Bible. And I'll explain about this in a moment, but what it does is it begins to distort the way we understand the Bible. Therefore, it distorts what the Bible is saying to us. So let me explain by, by walking through in fact there will be some notes that you can you can take on this but what those are and what those distortions look like in our lives but but why we're taking this time to do what we 're going to do and we'll, we'll talk about this at the conclusion about the value that we have for the Bible is because there is no other book in through throughout human history or on the planet that rivals the Bible there isn't that, that they've done studies and figured this all I don't know how you figure this out but it is the best-selling book of all time every single year since it was completed. On average, every year, 25 million Bibles are sold around the world. That's crazy. Nothing comes close to that. They've estimated that over history, sick, over 6 billion Bibles have been printed. That's a lot of Bibles. No other book comes close to it. Why is it so significant? Well, it, takes, it it's obviously gets our attention to know we need to figure out why this book is so important and how we value it in our life. And so going kind of back to kind of these these lenses or distortions that we have of the Bible or descriptions that kind of lead us astray. I want to walk through four of them. Now hear me before I start into these. This is not intended to offend anybody cuz I know what I'm about to preach. I've been guilty of myself. But when we when we take these kind of lenses or these distortions and we apply them to the Bible, they don't work out very well for us in the end. So things that have kind of said been said about the Bible that that we kind of, I know what the Bible is. It's this. There's a number of them, but I'm going to just talk about four. The first one is this, that I've heard people say, and I'm not guilty of this one. I've never said this. Other ones I have said, but this is, people say, oh, the Bible, I know what it is. It's an acronym that God gave us, and it stands for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Anybody ever heard that before? Like, yeah, that's really good. That's good. Now, let's just break that down for a moment, okay? If that's true of the Bible, then that means that the Bible is simply just basic. Is the Bible basic? No. The Bible is far greater than basic. It covers a lot more than just the basics of life and death and future. And it's much more comprehensive. The other kind of part that kind of, when you think about that, so it's basic instruction for doing what? For living here? For following Jesus? For understanding Jesus' death and resurrection? No, for leaving earth. As if all 66 books culminate in the fact that I'm just going to read these pages and read these books so that I can hang on for dear life till Jesus returns or I die and I go into eternity. That's the only reason the Bible is written. Anybody think that that's just a little skewed? Because the mentality that reads into that thinks that, okay, that all this book is good for is the future. It's not good for today. If you read through the Bible, you're going to realize that the majority of the scriptures are written about the past and the present and a little bit about the future. And if that's the reality, then if we, we convey that to ourselves and to people to say, hey, yeah, this is what the Bible is, then we're selling the Bible short. It's so much more than that. Yeah, it talks about the future, but it talks about the here and now. And that's why we can't just kind of write it off to some kind of basic extru- instruction for something that's going to happen later because it's something that breathes life into us today. And then there's a the second thing. I think we're all guilty of this. Again, not to offend. Another distorted description of the Bible is that it's God's rule book. Anybody? that, or I want to admit you've said that. Does it have rules in it? Absolutely, it has rules in it. But is it God's rule book? So if the Bible is a rule book, that means that if we want to know how to obey the rules or know what the rules are, we go to the Bible. Now, that seems kind of good, but the problem is is that what happens, if that's what the Bible exists for, then the only reason that you and I will read the Bible is for code enforcement. It's when something is not right, somebody's breaking the rules, so we have to go to the Bible, and that seems to be the only lens that we go to. So what do we do? We look in the Bible— for chapter and verse, to justify why somebody else is wrong and why I am right. And when we do that, we lose the personal connection of God's Spirit breathing into us the very words of God that convicts our own soul. Because this this thing that we use, it's like the law. The law was given, what, in the Old Testament. How did the law work out for Israel? Not very well, did it? It didn't breathe life into them, it breathed death into them. And the same thing is true. If we, when we know what, the, what the, the law is, so we go and we usually go to the law when we were wanting to find out if not if we've broken the law, right? We want to know if somebody else has broken the law. And so that's what the Bible becomes. It becomes kind of this, this rule book that I have to find to make sure that I'm right and somebody else is wrong. And again, that sells the Bible so short of what it's actually supposed to be. And then there's a third one. Again, I'm qualifying this again not to offend because I know we all use this. It is God's love love letter to us. Doesn't that sound great? 66 books of love. I mean, what could be wrong with that? Then why are people so offended with the Bible if it's God's love letter to us? Here's the thing. I know for some this may surprise you. The Bible was not written to us. It was written to his original hearers. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. Therefore, it can't be a love letter. A, lo- a letter is written to a person or a certain group of people. And then it's through the lens of their understanding of that letter that you understand what the letter means. That's why we have to do historical background to understand when certain passages are we, read, we read, we have to go back and say, what did it mean to them? We'll, we'll talk about that in a couple weeks before we can understand what does it mean to us. And you have to, the reason I'm, sh- I'm talking about this is because if we carry this out, if it's God's love letter to us, that means that all of it is written directly to us for us to somehow to figure out to apply right now because somehow it just is a, a way of getting beyond all history. It's above time, but God actually didn't bring it above time. He put it into time. But if this is true, then why don't we obey 99% of the Bible? Let me explain what I mean by this. So if it's God's love letter to me, that means that it's actually written specific to me and every point of instruction applies directly to me right now. That means that all of us are extremely disobedient. Let me give examples. If this is true, it's God's love to us. Then why, in the world, do we not return our neighbor's cloak taken and pledge before sundown? Why do we not do that? Some of you are going, What are you even talking about? Do you know that in Leviticus 22 we're, we're instructed? That's what you're supposed to do when it's someone gives you their cloak and pledge, and when night time comes and it's cold and they need it back so they stay warm, you're supposed to return it to them. How many of us do that? How many of you got up this morning and thought about the cloak you're going to turn tonight when you go to bed? I know I'm being ridiculous. None of us have. Why? Because that, that particular verse was not written to us. That was written to a group of people who, when somebody was in debt, they actually would offer their cloak as a way of saying, I'll pay the debt back. But when nighttime came, those who were in poverty were supposed to have that cloak back so that they wouldn't freeze to death. That doesn't, doesn't apply directly to, it, to us. Let me, keep, let me move on. How about this one? How come we don't abstain from meat sacrifice to idols? That's what Paul instructs us to do in 1 Corinthians, right? When was the last time you went to McDonald's and before you ate you were praying for God to forgive you because this meat might have been sacrificed to idols? <laughs> we don't think about that, do we? It's ridiculous, isn't it? There's, this, there's a timeless truth embedded in Scripture, but it's, remember, it's not written to us. Or how about this one? How, how, how do we enforce this one? Women are supposed to wear a covering over their head when they pray. I didn't see any covers today. First Corinthians 11.5 tells us that that's what's supposed to happen. Well, wait a second. Some of you are thinking, "We well, you're right, we should. What's the historical context? Who was it written to? It's written for us, but it's written to somebody. I think you're getting the point. So if we realize that the Bible is not just a letter that's written directly to us, but it actually is much bigger than that, and it was written to a group of people at a certain time in a certain context, then there's a whole range of what we have to understand in order to make sure that we apply directly what the truth is that God's trying to communicate through His Word. And then there's the final one, the final distortion or distorted description. That is that it's God's how-to manual. We've, we've all said this before. Oh, yeah, it's God's how-to manual. You will figure out everything you ever needed to know about life and every issue of life all in the Scriptures. We will find the truth that we need for life, but you will not find every topic on every subject and every issue that humanity will have in the Bible. You won't find it. You know why? It's not a how-to manual. Think about this. When you buy something brand new and you have to assemble it, and if you... If you are over, guys. You're over your own pride and arrogance. You actually read the instructions on what you're supposed to make, and you're reading a how-to manual. And so if you have a good how-to manual, you know that somebody actually did what they were talking about when they they wrote out step one, step two, step three, step four. It's a how-to manual, right? The Bible's not written that way. It's not written. and, And why is that important? Because I've seen, and especially... Let me just be honest. When we tell our kids that the Bible is the how-to manual for life, and then they get to the age where they can really read it for themselves, and they're going through an issue in their life, and they're trying to turn the pages to find where that specific issue, not knowing that there is a truth that God has for them that he wants to, but they're looking for that specific scenario and they can't find it, they get frustrated because they don't realize that it's bigger than, does it have some how-to? Absolutely. But it's not a manual. See, what does a manual focus in on? A manual focuses on information and facts. It doesn't focus in on the bigger story of what's going on. And that's important for us to understand. See, because if that's the case, if it's just a how to manual, then you and I should be able to flip to any page and figure out the how to. It's like the the story that you've heard before, and it's this ridiculous illustration where some guy's seeking God's wisdom on his life, and so he's praying intently, and he goes to the scriptures, and he says, okay, God, this is your how-to manual. It's going to tell me how I navigate this situation. So he takes his Bible, and he lets it fall open, and as it falls open, it falls open to Matthew chapter 27, verse 5, where it says that Judas went out and hung himself. And he goes, Up, oh, that can't be right. That was a mistake. Let's try again. And so he prays intently, Okay, God, you're going to tell me how to do this. And so he does it again. And his Bible falls, falls open to Luke chapter 10, verse 37, that says, You go and do likewise. Doesn't work, does it? Because it's not a how to manual. It's far bigger than that. Does it have some how tos? Yes, but it's not limited to that. And it can't be treated as such. So, with those things in mind, what is the Bible? Now, we could be here for hours and hours and hours and hours to define that, but I want to kind of give you some simple kind of things to hang on that kind of give us that. And I want to give you a basic definition of that, and then we'll break that down what that looks specifically. So, the Bible is God's narrative of human history communicated through numerous authors, 40, literary types, time periods, about 1600 years or so, cultures, and languages. It is both descriptive, detailing what happened, and prescriptive, defining how to live. It is singular overarching theme is the reconciliation of all things back to god Now that may be too complicated for you or not complicated enough But to understand this is the key and we'll talk a little bit about this The bible is both descriptive and prescriptive and that is so important Because if it's descriptive it means it's describing something that historically took place If it's prescriptive it means this is how you should do that or you should do this And it's not that, in in every passage, it's not both, and that's the problem. Sometimes we read through it, and it's simply recording the history of humanity and what happened without detailing what you are supposed to do with that. It's not prescribing certain activities, because there's history involved, and that's why a lot of, when we look at the Bible, you have to go, what was going on historically at that time, that they would do this, is that what we should be doing today? That's obviously why women don't wear head coverings when they pray. That was very historical, very cultural at that time. But what is it that we have to get to? We have to understand. So there's four things I just want to highlight. First thing is this. Again, these are just a few things to hang on to. What is the Bible? First off, it is a narrative book. It has a, multiple, uh, a multitude of different literary types. But overall, the Bible is a progressive narrative of God's human history laid out, again, with the one overarching theme and focus of the redemption and reconciliation of all things back to God. We just went through the Minor Prophets for the last 12 weeks, and when we went through that, every single one of the Minor Prophets, you can see the overarching theme that's tied in to even the Old Testament. And that is what God calling his people back into relationship with him and warning them not to continue the road they're going because there will be a day of the Lord when he returns. And apart from his presence in your life, you will be judged and you will be on the wrong side of justice. And that was placed throughout. That's the overarching theme. In fact, if you watch the videos that we use during, the, Bible, uh, during the, the series through the Minor Prophets, they come from an organization called The Bible Project. If you go on their website, their whole purpose in designing the videos is to create a reading plan that gives you the overarching theme of Scripture so that people can see that all of, pa- all of Scripture fits together. It all has one narrative. It's all f- unfolding together. Why is that important? Because if we look at this as an unfolding narrative, then we understand something very important that the Bible is accurate in everything it does, and it's trustworthy, and we'll talk about that next week. But that means that because it's an overarching narrative, that what is the focus of a narrative? Is it information, or is it people? It's people. People are the storyline of the Bible, obviously. And so that's the focus of it. And so we have to understand that, that it's a narrative book, and that's why when we're reading it, the focus is in all the things that so many times we run after and we try to split hairs over and not realize that the focus is God's people, what god is doing in people and he's the main character that's the main plot that's why when you go to a passage in exodus 16 and you read about god supplying manna to his people because they were in the desert and god said i will supply for your needs and every morning they would get up and there was fresh manna which manna means what is it because they didn't know what it was do we read a passage like that and think you know what i think the core of this passage is to figure out what manna is So you try to study what is manna. We have to understand what is manna so that we can understand the context of what's there. No, what is is going on in the narrative is that God loves his people enough that in the middle of the desert, he provides something and they don't even know what it is. That's why they named it. What is it? They don't know what it is. The point is not manna, the point is God's provision. And the reason I share that is because it is, again, it's about God and people. It's not about all the things that we will argue over. It's God's narrative book. And that's the beauty of this. We'll talk about the scripture as a whole. It can't be separated out and just taken, okay, we like this part, but we don't like that part. We have to look all of it together. And then the second thing, the Bible's also, it's, it's a true book. The Bible's true, not only in its content, but in the truth that God presents to humanity for our intake and our consumption. Psalm 19, verse 9 says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. So when we read it, we study, we reflect on it, we discover that there are timeless truths that God has put into Scripture for us to learn and to follow throughout our lives. And that's the beauty of what what the Scriptures are. There's this simplicity but again it's not just basic but it is simple to understand and that's why it's so important that that the bible reveals truth about humanity that nothing else can do because we'll talk about it in a moment because it comes from god but understanding the truth that the scriptures present to to humanity gives us insight to things that apart from it we don't get here's here's an example okay in luke chapter 6 verse verse 45 So Jesus says this, pretty important. He says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What was Jesus talking about? So remember, so in in the culture of the day, because the law was the thing that they tried to live by, the overarching concept was, what makes a person bad is not what's on the inside, it's all of what's on the outside. So it's all these bad influences, it's all these other things that are there, and that makes them bad. But what Jesus is saying, no, what's bad about somebody is already in them. That's why when your heart gets squeezed, what comes out? What's in there? And so for people at time when they heard that Some of them pushed back on it like no 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 We know it's just bad influence It's just bad environment It's just the out- things we're outside and, and Jesus is saying no no it's, it's what's inside you already And that's why Jesus didn't come to modify He didn't come to adjust He didn't come to rearrange your lives He came to transform us what from the inside out Why because the issue is the inside So when Jesus said that for some people Like whoa that's my problem I've removed all the bad influences from all around my life, and I still have a problem. There's something wrong inside of me. Now Jesus says this, and now my life finally makes sense. Why? Because that's the truth of God. That's one of a million examples that we could talk about that the Scriptures are so true because they reveal things about the world and about us that we don't know on our own apart from the Scriptures and the inspiration of God's Spirit through these words. So if we understand that, we understand that it is a true book. So then there's a third thing. It is a cohesive book. So the Bible is very is cohesive in its message and its story. And it, here's the key: it should be understood primarily as a whole, not as in parts. This is so important. We love to slice and dice the Bible. And it's really easy to fly over at thirty thousand feet and then just nosedive into one passage and look at it and say, "Aha! I know the truth!" and ignore all the other scriptures that are throughout the Bible. Why is that important? Because listen to what Paul wrote in Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. He said, "All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching." for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He says, all scripture. Not the ones I like, not the ones I'm hanging out in, but all of it. Why is this so important? Because we have a tendency, depending on our, our religious history or our personal preference, to gravitate towards certain passages that we like, and away from ones that either we don't like or we don't understand. That's why most people, not all, but there's a lot of people in the church, uh, not just our church, in the church in general, who refuse to go to the Old Testament because it scares them to death. They, I don't understand it. God just looks like he's mad and ticked off and just wants to squash people, so I want to stay away from that. Oh, Jesus, he's loving and compassionate, cares for the, those who are sinners. So I'm going to hang out here, but, but not realizing, this book we went through, the, the minor prophets, it's the same God. God's not schizophrenic. Same God inspired the Old Testament, inspired the New Testament. And that's why it's important we have to see, and, and, and beyond that, so much of what we understand about Scripture isn't just nailed into one passage, it's unfolded in other passages. And that's why so many times we get hung up and we're like, yeah, this is it. again, we go with the rule book, chapter and verse, I'm going to use this, but we ignore all the other narratives around that rule. So it doesn't mean that we throw out rules. Let me, let me explain, and I'm not going to get this, I know it's going to cause controversy for people, but, but a number of months ago we were talking about in the church how sometimes women get treated as second-class citizens. And we take that from Paul's instructions in a number of his epistles about leadership in the church and how we say, we look at Paul's writings and we say there's no way that women are allowed to lead in the church. But if we look at that Paul's passage only, you can come with that conclusion. But if you read the narrative of Scripture, even in the Old Testament, and then you go into the New Testament, the narrative portions of Scripture seem to indicate there are exceptions to the very rule that Paul actually puts out. Because he commends a female deaconess. And there are women that show up in leadership in the church in the New Testament. So wait a second, was Paul violating himself? No, because the whole Bible explains the whole Bible. It doesn't mean it explains things away, but we have to be very careful when we come up with a theology that's based on one or two verses in one particular context without looking at the whole thing. It's either all inspired or none of it's inspired. It's not only the areas that we like is inspired. And the reason I say this is because in the church in America, we love to get our little bent and hammer on things. Yet we ignore the other passages of Scripture that seem to give light to the very thing that we're going after. It's all inspired, all of Scripture. And it's it's God's masterful orchestration of His plan. And that's why all of it fits together. That's why you can't ignore it. All of it fits together. Remember... Being so frustrated, the first year in high school and playing basketball, I I I had known of the coach that I was going to play for, and I knew what a great coach he was. And so, when you you're getting into practice and you're doing like preseason practice stuff, and you're doing kind of conditioning and stuff, and so you're thinking, okay, this guy is brilliant; he's a good coach. So you're you're waiting for this inspiring experience. He's going to make me a basketball better basketball player. And I'll tell you, the first three months with my coach, I was frustrated. Because I'm thinking he's going to make, we're going we're to be practicing, I'm going to be a better shooter, I'm going to score more points, I'm going to you know, be more popular in high school, we all know that's why you play sports. So I'm thinking all these things, and, and for the first three months, we're not even talking basketball. In fact, we're not even on a basketball court. We're on the track. We're in the weight room, weight room. We're doing these jumping exercises. We're doing all these things. And I'm like, what in the world are we doing? And then we get a little closer to the season. Okay, I'm like, okay, now we're going to start practicing offense and defense, the two kind of cores of what basketball is. So we're gonna, he's going to show us the design of the offense and how we run plays and how we score points and the design of the defense and how we stop the other team from scoring. That's all going to be it. And the first part of the season, we didn't do any of that either. I'm like, wait a second. But we're running all these drills. There's shooting drills, and there's defense drills, and I'm like, but we're not, we don't, I don't know where that, I don't know how I'm doing that. Where am I playing on defense? Where am I playing offense? I don't know anything. I'm thinking, literally, I think it was like two weeks before the season started. I'm like, we're going to be a laughing stock. I didn't even know where to go on the floor, and then it all came together. Every single drill that we ran for all the last three months fit exactly into our offense and our defense so every spot on the floor where we're running a play where we're supposed to shoot the ball was what we've been doing for three months and so when we when were running the offense I'm like, I have shot from this spot th- a thousand times and this is exactly where my coach wants me to shoot from that's why he designed and then I realized, oh he designed the drill to fit into the offense and now it makes sense kind of like Mr. Miyagi and Daniel LaRusso and Karate Kid <laughs> wax on, wax off I'm like, oh, I finally get it And then I went from hating him to loving him, thinking he's brilliant. The Bible's written the same way. We think, oh, that has nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with this. Because the same God inspired it. And he knows what he's doing. I'm getting a little passionate. Yes, I am. Because I value the scriptures and them to be approached in an appropriate way that breathe life into us the way God intended. So if we understand that it's this cohesive book that's meant to be taken comprehensively together. And then finally this. It's a divinely inspired book. This is so important. Again, back to 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but the first few words of verse 16. All scripture is, and the ESV translates it, is breathed out by God. That is such an important phrase. That phrase in the New Testament is, and in the Bible is the only time that specific word is used to describe anything. And it's describing scripture, it's describing the Bible. And it's actually two words together. It's actually one word that's kind of crammed together, but then it's two distinct words it's theopanutos, which is two words it's theos, which is God, and Nuah or numa, which is spirit, breathe, or wind. So it's saying God breathed, God's air, God's life. Comes through the scriptures. They are breathed out through humanity so that we can understand them. And th- why is that significant? Because that word and that phrase is not used of any other book in the history of mankind except this. Think about that. No wonder it sells 25 million copies a year, no wonder there's 6 billion in print. No wonder people will give their lives for the scriptures. Why? Because God breathed it through humanity so that we could understand all of what's going on around us and why, what's going on inside of us and what God is up to and what, how God loves us. Apart from that, we're, we're pretty, pretty confused. We don't have time to do this, but if you go throughout human history and see how much the Bible has shaped culture and shaped our thinking and shaped the world, even though people fight against it, it's profound. If you take it out of there, we're in trouble. Bible is so important, but it's God's inspired book to us, and we'll talk about it, but the inspiration of these 66 books through these 40 authors through this time period and these languages is what God breathed for His people for all time. Why is this significant? Because if this is true, if it's true that this Bible is God-breathed, and it's the only words that God has breathed through humanity for us and holds holds a special place in history— then we should have value for it not for the physical pages and the nice covers that we get none of that that's just that's just dressing on the outside of the content but what's inside of it should be the highest value in our life but how many of us fall into the one camp it's it's confusing i don't understand i don't know what's about i'm just going to stay away from it or i don't have time for it and what i get on sunday mor- morning is enough just just think about this for a moment if god in human flesh, Jesus Christ himself walked into the room right now, came up to you where you are, kneeled down, and whispered words into your ears. Breathed into your ear. You could feel it and said something profound about your life. What would you do? That was nice. I'm going to go home and watch football. <laughs> I can't believe he said that. He just spoke directly to me. What would you do? You would do what he says. You would hang on to that. You would think about it. You would, what do you say? I want to remember. I don't, don't want to forget a word of what he said because it's so important. Why? Because he just breathed his words into me. That's this. That's this every single day of our lives. So how do we treat it? Do we value it? Now, here, I'm going to close with this and I'll pray, but, oh man, I want to be so careful. Sometimes we get legalistic with Bible reading and it just kills life It kills it takes the life right out of it Nothing against reading plans Nothing against reading the Bible through in a year in a month in a day Nothing wrong with any of that If you have one for a day and you can do it good for you I don't know if it's possible humanly But there's all these plans and so many times I think okay, you know what? I need to read the Bible so I need to go to a plan and sometimes plans work really well for people but So many times what what plans do is they add a layer of legalism to the Bible so every day you get up, okay, i got to read these five chapters. Okay, good. So, you, you know, all, all of a sudden, you start in January, you're really good. If you're an overachiever, you get to February. You know, if you're really, really, like, super, super saint, you get to, like, March. And then some get to April. And then if you're, like, really, like, a nerd and a bookworm, you get all the way to December. You know, you're like that. But most people fall off in Leviticus somewhere, Right. Because you're like, I just don't get it, and I'm not knowing. Or what happens is is in your reading, and like something happens, and you miss a day, and then you miss a day, and like, oh, I got 20 chapters to read. I can't do it. Let's just skip and go to where we are now, right? Have you done that before? We've missed the point completely. It's never about the checklist. It's about what's in it. And that might be one verse for you. And that's the way right now for me, right now, in the rhythm of life, I have, sometimes it's one verse, sometimes it's ten chapters. I don't know what it's gonna be. But I open and I keep reading and I go, Oh, I gotta stop. And then I gotta go back and I gotta look at that and I gotta study that and I gotta read it again, and I gotta let God really settle in because there's something there that I know God really wants to speak for. What, what what does that mean? What did that mean to the original hearers? What is that gonna mean for me? And I will stop. In fact, this last week I was in one passage for five days, and it's only like three verses. And I keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. Forget the checklist. I'm like a year behind already. But guess what? God is speaking to me as I'm steady in this, and there's life coming to me. I'm like, I can't wait. I sit down in the morning. I'm like, oh, man, I got to go back to this passage again. I got to move on, but I'm still stuck here. That should be our experience. Well, I, wanna g- I, I actually get excited when I get to open the Bible, and I used to hate it. Honestly, I hate it because I would open my bookmark with the check marks, and I'm already behind. I'm like, oh, and I put it down. And I wouldn't read it. Anybody relate? Now, for some people, reading plans work great. Stick with it. But for others, God is not going to ask you about check marks when you get to heaven. He's going to say, did you let my, my breathed words through humanity penetrate your heart and your soul and transform you from the inside out? That's what he's going to be concerned with. Do we do that? So let me close with this. I am praying for myself and for us that God would give us the same heart and spirit that he gave to the woman that I prayed for in China a month ago. I shared the story. I'll never forget this woman. In fact, I have a desktop on my computer that changes pictures periodically, and I have a picture of her and her husband and, and my dad in this picture, and it comes up like every three or four days. just reminds me of her again. And This is a woman who has followed Jesus. Her and her husband have seen millions of people in China come to Christ. I mean, she's just an amazing woman. And she came to my dad and I one night... She got down on her knees, and she, which just floored me. And through an interpreter, she says, can you please pray that God would give me the gift of literacy so I can read the Bible for myself? She's like 75 years old. And she's never read the Bible for herself. She's let other people read it to her, and she's heard teachings on it. But all she wants, of anything she could ask God for, I just want to read the scriptures for myself. I had a hard time praying for her. I was overwhelmed, like, wow, how many Bibles do I have on my shelf? And she just wants to be able to read one of them. If God could give us that, and and I'll close with this, God needs to give us a passion for His Word, not an obligation. Not something that you have to manufacture, and you have to work up, and say, okay, I'm excited about the Bible. No, that's not it. There has to be something inside of us that hungers for God to speak to us and has the determination to find the timeless truth that he's embedded in scripture for us to find. That only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God working inside of you is the only thing that motivates you enough to keep on going back to the scriptures to let God continue to speak to you, to grow and to be challenged and to be changed, to be transformed. As much as we need God's Spirit to help us deal with our sin issue and issues of physical healing and issues of relational fracturing and all that, we need God's Spirit to give us the ability to have hunger for His Word. That's as much of work of the Spirit as anything else, and that's why God deposits His Spirit in us when we say yes to Jesus so that we have inside of us a hunger that says, I want to know, Jesus, I want to know who you are. I want to understand more. And because of that, not that you have to become super educated and have to be some kind of intellectual. No, I just go back to the scriptures and let God speak to me as I diligently read and study and reflect on what God is saying. Would you close your eyes and we me pray. Lord Jesus, as we begin this month, and we come back to the Bible, We know that, Lord, the Bible doesn't save us, but it does tell us how we are to be saved. It doesn't give us uh, the answer to everything, but it gives us the answers to the things that we need deep within our soul. And if we'll go there, Lord, we know that you will be faithful by your Spirit to speak to us. But, Lord, we we all come to a place in our life where we've said yes to knowing you that there always comes that initial passion Lord and we know and we're, we're hungry for what you want to do but then life happens routines take over old habits start to creep back in and somehow the passion subsides but Lord we need a hunger that's sustained in our lives we need a, a hunger that is true of something that your spirit does in us that drives us back to the Bible drives us back to the scriptures to once again encounter you, to hear your voice, to know what you've said. So I pray right now that your spirit would come in each one of us again, and and you would fill us to the full in such a way that we are hungry for your word. We are hungry for your God-breathed words into our soul so that, Lord, we can hear your voice. So, Lord, with would, would this week, as we, as we go into the regular routine of life, I pray that, Lord, that each day when we get up, just as much as we feel hunger before breakfast, that we would feel hunger for your word. Before we ever eat a, a physical meal, Lord, and we know, we, f- we know what physical hunger feels like, I pray that you would let us feel spiritual hunger, Lord, because I know it, it, it's for your word, but ultimately it's because your word points to you. And so, Lord, we would find that hunger satisfied as we go to the scriptures and not only encounter words, but we encounter you. And then our lives are changed. And then, Lord, we become more of who you called us to be. And we become your disciples. And our lives begin to change. And therefore, we start looking more and more like you. More and more like you created us to be and to think and to live because we've been shaped and transformed and changed from the inside out. By the power of your Holy Spirit through your words to us. So Lord, give us the courage on this journey to be obedient, to follow you in this. In Jesus' name, amen.